morning again. <laughs> okay, now I'm ready. <clears throat> so this fall, we are doing a new series called Eating with Jesus. And what we're doing is we're going through the Gospel of Luke and looking at each occasion in which Jesus eats with someone. And we're doing this for a couple of reasons. One is because it's clearly an important element to Luke because he includes it a lot. There are scholars who will say that eating is the, uh, the unifying theme throughout the Gospel of Luke. There's uh, over 10, actually I think I'm going to have to cut one to make it fit in our sermon series before we get to Christmas season because it's such a common thing in the Gospel of Luke. But also, it's an important thing we talked about last week in, in our relationships, that, that who we eat with, it matters, it makes a difference, it says something, and that we will often use occasions when we eat for, to make connections, to um, build up relationships. It's a powerful element in how we build our relationships, and we see the same thing for Jesus. And so when we look at the meals that Jesus had and the reasons why he had them and what happened in those meals, we see something powerful about who Jesus is and what his mission was in, in the first century as he came, and what his mission for us continues to be to this day. Last week, we looked at the first meal, which was dinner with Levi. Levi was a tax collector, a sinner, who was considered unrighteous and, and the kind of person that you weren't supposed to spend time around. And Jesus went to him and invited Levi to follow him and... Levi said yes, and the first thing Levi did in following Jesus was to throw him a feast and with all of his sinner friends. And Jesus accepted his invitation to go into this meal full of sinners, and the Pharisees came in and questioned his actions. And their question, the, the issue, if you remember from last week, it wasn't the fact that he was trying to bring sinners to repentance. It was the fact that what he was doing with them didn't look like repentance to the Pharisees. Because Jesus seemed to think that it was being with Jesus, it was eating with Jesus that made the difference. See, other, the Pharisees and John the Baptist, they would start by diagnosing the problem, telling you what you were doing wrong, and then telling you what you should do differently. Jesus, instead of starting with that, he started with his presence. He started with, let's, let's eat together, let's spend time together, follow me, and we'll work that out on the way. And so for Jesus, it seemed to be that being with him is what made the difference. That what he had to offer people was not simply a new 12-step program to, you know, following the law of Moses or, or a new way of diagnosing and prescribing for sin, but it was his presence that changed people and made it possible for people to actually change their lives or to be changed. This week, we're moving into the next meal, which is another dinner. It's another feast that is thrown in Jesus' honor. It's kind of interesting, though, because there's a bit of role reversal here. Tonight, or today, we're looking at a meal that is thrown by a Pharisee, and then a, an, a sinner is going to come to the meal, uh, as opposed to the other way around in our previous story. And we will see just some interesting things that happen in this encounter. I'm going to read the story first. And then we'll unpack it and we'll talk about what happened in the story. So it's, we're going to be in Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. 
A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating in the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So this is an interesting story after the one that we looked at last week, because in last week's story, Jesus comes to a sinner and calls the sinner to follow him, and so this tax collector throws a feast for Jesus, and the Pharisees kind of crash it. This time, it's a Pharisee who throws a feast for Jesus, and Jesus attends, and, and a sinful woman comes in. And the comparison here is very interesting because sometimes what we're tempted to do is to focus on the difference between how Jesus treated the woman and how the Pharisee treated the woman, which is a fair thing to look at. But this story, is the way Luke has written it, it's actually focused on a different comparison. It's focused on comparing Simon, the Pharisee, and the sinful woman. Because these two people both want to spend time with Jesus. They both seek out Jesus and, and, and want to be at a meal with him, but for very different reasons, with very different motives, with very different agendas. And for people who are watching Jesus to figure out if he's the Messiah and what kind of Messiah he's going to be, they will be very interested to see which agenda Jesus vindicates. Because it tells us, why should we eat with Jesus? What should we be looking for when we follow Jesus and when we spend time with him? That's what this story is meant to tell us. And so what we're going to do as we unpack the story is we're going to start by looking at Simon and Simon's agenda. And then we're going to look at this woman and her agenda. And then we're going to look at how Jesus responds to the two of them. So, Let's start by looking at Simon. Why does Simon want to eat with Jesus? I'm going to argue from what we see in the story that Simon saw the meal with Jesus as an opportunity for prestige and scorekeeping.
This is a common thing in human relationships. Meals, especially feasts, banquets, fancy gatherings, are an opportunity for people to establish their, like, like to gain prestige and to establish their rank in a social circle. This is one of the reasons, this is one of the things we do in social gatherings and meal gatherings is we kind of figure out the pecking order or we show off our place in the pecking order. And this is essentially what Simon is interested in. Because Simon throws a feast for Jesus. Levi also threw a feast for Jesus. We didn't question, didn't get, say there was anything wrong with that. But this is, this is an expensive undertaking. A lot of food, a lot of servants, a lot of work goes into throwing this feast. Levi did it, and now Simon is doing it. But there is a difference in their motives. He threw an expensive banquet, Simon did, but it was not out of love for Jesus. How do we know this? Well, Jesus points it out in public, in front of everyone. As he's describing what happened, as he's, he's retelling the events of the evening to Simon, he says, I came into your house, you did not give me water for my feet, you did not give me a kiss, you did not put oil on my head. Now, none of those things were required you didn't have to, as far as we can tell from everything we know about that time period, you didn't have to do those things to be a good host. Those are the things that you do to go beyond just being a good host, just fulfilling your obligations for hospitality. This is what you do if you actually like the person who's visiting. Because right? hospitality was an important thing. You are obligated to extend hospitality to people. But there are certain things that you do if you're really glad that the person is there. You know, this is a very dear friend, a very close family member, someone who has done something generous for you, someone who deserves special affection. These are the kinds of things you would do. Simon didn't do any of those things. He wasn't personally excited that Jesus was there. So he threw the feast, but it wasn't out of love for Jesus. Now, why, why did he throw the feast? Well, based on his behavior, it makes the most sense to say that he did it because there's a certain prestige in being the one, the person that the tra popular traveling uh, preacher eats with. Right? You get to be the one that, you know, Jesus came, you know that guy that everybody's talking about? Yeah, he ate at my house. When he came to town, I'm the one that he ate with. It enhances his prestige. Now, why do I say that that's probably his motivation? Because it's consistent with his mentality. Because in this case, we get that rare uh, instance of seeing what somebody's thinking or hearing what they're thinking. So after the woman anoints Jesus' feet, the Pharisee, when the Pharisee who invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. It was the first thing he thinks. First thing he thinks when he sees her is he, he scores her, he evaluates her, he puts her in the pecking order and recognizes that she's low. Now notice, he doesn't try to kick her out. He's not saying, he never says, what's she doing here? Part of that is because the uh, feasts back in those days, the private property didn't mean quite the same thing it does today. And so people would wander in and out of big gatherings. It would just happen. Like beggars would come in, stuff like that. But also, I think if you really like the fact that you're on the top of the pecking order, like the, the, the draw of being at the top of the pecking order is looking down, right? Um, that's why people aren't especially passionate. Like, if you're all about scorekeeping, you don't want everybody to have a high score. You want to have a higher score than other people, right? 
So the first thing he does when he sees her is he evaluates her and he scores her. He judges her. Okay, she is this kind of woman. She belongs down here. Below me. Then, the next thing he does, the very next thing his brain does, is it analyzes Jesus. See, I thought Jesus was a prophet, or I was wondering whether he was a prophet, but clearly he's not, because he's letting that woman touch her feet, which means he must not know what kind, he's letting that woman touch his feet, which means he must not know what kind of woman she is, because obviously if he did, he would never let her touch his feet. One of the things that, um, when we get into a scorekeeping mentality, we assume everyone else is keeping score too. And so he assumes that Jesus is also keeping score, and so it must be out of ignorance that he is allowing this woman to touch his feet, which means he's not a prophet, which means he can knock Jesus down a few pegs in his scorekeeping, right? Deduct a few points from Jesus. So Simon judged the woman for her sin, and he judged Jesus for not judging her sin. This is the kind of mentality that he has. Now this is, it's easy to sit in judgment on Simon as long as we ignore how often we think the exact same way. We love to compare and compete. We also love to uh, evaluate people quickly and place them in the, we, want, we, are, we do nothing so efficiently as we judge other people. We waste no time on judging people, especially today. I think this is what like 98% of the internet is for these days. We, we'll, we'll pick something and we'll say, okay, a good person would never do that or believe that. So anybody who ticks that box, I can say, nope, they're a bad person. Oh, you voted that way? Shunk. Oh, you believe in that cause? Shunk. Oh, you come from that group? Shunk. Oh, I saw this in your picture, your Facebook picture? Shunk. You know, we saw this bumper sticker, and we, we will categorize people as efficiently and quickly as possible and say, because of this thing about you, I'm going to score you down here. We love to analyze and score people, and we love to use social gatherings to do that. We love to find prestige in whether or not, you know, how, how important am I in this gathering, how prominent am I, or... Uh, you know, I'm one of those who belong here. You're a new person. You're a visitor. You're, you know, we're constantly kind of checking our score, checking other people's score. This is, this is a common human mentality. Simon just got called out on it in Scripture. Poor guy. <laughs> but that's, that's his mentality. And I think we do see this a lot in, as we eat with Jesus today, where we tend to find prestige in our place in the church. We find prestige in being one of the insiders. We keep score with other people and we, we think about who, who we really want here and who we don't want here. And we'll make those calls on the most superficial things. Now, the woman, when she comes, she comes for very different reasons and with a very different agenda. What I'm going to argue about the woman is that she saw the meal as an opportunity for intimacy and gratitude. She came to this meal, by intimacy I mean that she came to this meal looking for a chance to genuinely, personally connect with Jesus. And she wanted to use that connection to express gratitude. 
Right? She wanted to have, whether through words or action, she wanted to have a personal, intimate conversation with Jesus. And what she wanted to say in that conversation was thank you. That's why she's there. It tells us a woman in that town lived, who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Is this, the only, is this woman notable because she's the only one in town who lived a sinful life? No. That's not what Luke is telling us. She is not the one who lived a sinful life as compared to everyone else. What he's telling us is she is, the one, she is one who was known for living a sinful life. Her sins were public. Her sins uh, made it so that she couldn't, uh, she couldn't conceal her sins in a way that so she could still go to synagogue. A lot of times, that's, it's not whether you sin or not, it's whether you can conceal your sin or not. Determines whether you're, you know, how you're received at church or how you're received in the community. So she had a public reputation for being sinful. Everybody knew it about her. And she found out that Jesus was at, going to be at the Pharisee's house. The Pharisee, who has a public reputation for rejecting sin and sinners and being on the opposite end of the moral and social spectrum. So she finds out that G where Jesus is going to be and it is the hotbed of everybody who thinks the least of her. Right? It is the hardest place in town for her to go. And yet she goes. You imagine what's in her mind as she finds out. It's like, I, I need to talk to Jesus. Where is he? He's at Simon's house. <clears throat> I was really hoping to catch him in the marketplace. I was really hoping to catch him, you know, out at the fishing docks, um, you know, around an alley. I, I, somewhere where, but that's, that's where everybody who th hates her is gathered. <laughs> right? And so for Simon... Spending time with Jesus was an opportunity to enhance his prestige by being the guy who, in, who uh, had Jesus over when he came through town. It's the complete opposite for this woman because for her, she is, she's not gaining from this gathering, from this meeting. If anything, she's risking. She, is, she risked ridicule and rejection from, like, all the people who, who think the worst of her are in that room. They're all going to be in one place. So she knows she's going to get it from them. And I, I would imagine that she probably thinks she might get it from Jesus, too. It's a possibility. She doesn't have a perfect understanding of who he is. And she's probably very familiar that when you get people in public, their behavior changes. Right? It's one thing to be kind to a person when you're one-on-one, -on -one, especially a person with a bad reputation. It's another thing to be kind to them in public with all the righteous people around. So she takes a huge risk in coming to this place to spend time with Jesus so that she can show him gratitude. And that gratitude, I think Luke does everything he can to show us that that gratitude is 100% sincere. There is no showboating. There is no um, 
standing on ceremony. This is not just, you know, well, I have to get through the social niceties to do this. This is completely sincere and raw, and, and she is completely vulnerable. And for me, this has been important as I've been reading this story to prepare for this sermon. This is what really hit me today, or th- this week, is that when she was in his presence, she was completely overcome with emotion. For some reason, and uh, this might only be me, so maybe this next part is just correcting myself, and you all can just listen to me correct myself. Uh, but I always imagined, and when I played this movie in my head, all of this was very intentional on her part. Like, it was planned out. Like, I assumed this went according to plan. Like, this was basically what she had in mind. That's not the case. That's not how this happened. Okay, so here, you have to visualize it accurately first. So the way they were, so like, if you watch the movie, like, Jesus is sitting on a chair, and she comes around and comes up to his feet. Like, I remember watching a, a movie about Jesus where he did this, and he's sitting in a chair, and she wipes his feet. It's not how it happened. They would have been laying, if this is the table, they would have been laying on their sides, on their elbows, with their heads at the table and their feet behind them, away from the table, not sitting in chairs. They were reclining, same way they did at the Last Supper, actually. So Jesus is, has his head at the table and his feet toward the wall. Okay? So she did not walk into the middle of the room and go in front of everybody to do this. She like, came in and like, scooted along the wall right? And she's standing there with Jesus, and here's the thing. I don't know why I didn't, I don't know why I didn't make this connection. Unless Luke tells us, we probably shouldn't assume that crying was the plan, right? Like, like that she said, okay, where am I going to get water to wash his feet? Oh, I'll cry. That's what I'll do. I will, I'll just turn on the waterworks and cry. No, she's standing there being unobtrusive by his feet, and she's so overcome in his presence that she can't, that she starts crying, in public. She doesn't want to, but she's crying in public to the, uh, probably a messy cry, right? Because she suddenly realizes she is getting his feet wet. That probably was not the plan. But now, all of a sudden, maybe before she's ready, she knows that he knows that she's there because she's dripping all over his feet. And that's got to be dealt with. So, She lets down her hair. She does the first thing that comes to her mind. She lets down her hair, and she starts wiping his feet, which that would have been scandalous. You don't let down your hair in public, but it's what she had at hand. So she lets, and all of a sudden, she goes from being a wallflower to being the center of everybody's attention. She's making a scene. She's a blubbering mess. She's wiping his feet, and she's like, well, I'm down here. I'm committed. I might as well pour pour the uh, anointing, you know, in his feet with with, what's the word I'm looking for? Perfume, wow. I might as well, while I'm down here, I might as well do what I came for. It, this is not a solemn, dignified, controlled thing. This is a, this is a, you know, just completely, she has probably never been more vulnerable in her life, and it's in front of everybody who hates her. That's what's happening here. And that's what Simon is looking at, this humiliated puddle at Jesus' feet as he starts judging her. And saying, if Jesus knew who she was, he would have pulled his feet up by now. He would have gotten away from the puddle of a person. So what, when you compare these two people, you see people in completely opposite situations. Simon is in his element. He's in control. He's with his people. He's, got, he's, he's 
uh, you know, adding to his scorecard. Things are going really well for him. And this woman has risked everything to come here, and nothing's going according to plan, and all she can do is blubber out this expression of, of gratitude that is overwhelming her in that moment. And she knows, she can feel everybody's eyes burning into her, the back of her head. She knows that she's made a fool of herself in front of everybody, but she cares more about saying thank you to this man who at some point in her past forgave her for her sins. And now Jesus, who is a prophet because he can tell what Simon is thinking, makes a comment about them in front of everybody. He turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. So first of all, as Jesus tells the story, you know, he, he, he reminds Simon of what has happened in a very specific way. He could have said, you did these things. Like, I came in and this is how I went, and then, you, then she came in and did these things. But he specifically compares Simon's behavior with the woman's behavior intentionally in a way that evaluates them as hosts. How did Simon host Jesus, and how did the woman host Jesus? Because hospitality is the, is the key responsibility. Like you have to be able to be a good host in order to have any kind of prestige whatsoever. So in, the, in front of everybody, as this guy is at his social best, Jesus basically says, oh, you think you're the host of this meal? You didn't really act like it. Jesus honored the woman as the true host of the meal, the one who got it right. Like, yeah, you may get to sit in the fancy seat or lay on the fancy pillow, and you may get to think that you're the host and you're the one that did all this right and has checked all the right boxes, but this is the woman who actually treated me as a host in your home. This is the woman who actually wanted to spend time with me, not just get credit for being near me. This is the woman who actually loved me and showed that she's been forgiven. She's the one who understands what this is all about. Because what Jesus tells us is that he did not come to keep score, but to erase debt. One of the ideas that the Pharisees had and a lot of Jews had at the time was that when the Messiah came, he was going to come and he was going to announce the scores, right? Like he was going to be like, he was going to host the Oscars and he was going to stand up and say, all right, here's all the winners and you all go with me into the kingdom and here's all the losers and you all depart from me. And, and that's the Messiah's job is to announce the winners and the losers, to be the scorekeeper. And so clearly when the Messiah gets here, if he is the Messiah, he's going to want to go around to the people with the highest scores and spend time with them and tell them, good job. 
Right? That's what the Messiah came to do. But that's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus tells a completely different story to describe his ministry. He says, this is how he describes what he does. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? In this story, the Pharisee, Simon would have expected this in this story that the Messiah is the moneylender who, the, the, who calls all the debts due. And he looks through and sees who, much is, who has paid him back and the people that haven't get sent packing and the people who have paid him back go into the kingdom. But that mentality doesn't pay very close attention to the law of Moses. It doesn't pay very good attention to the Old Testament where Jesus told them to regularly forgive debts, to regularly free people from slavery. Jesus says, well, I, I didn't come here to keep score. I didn't come here to point out the winners and the losers. I came to offer everybody a chance to have their score, whatever it is, forgiven. Because here's the thing, nobody's in the black. Right? All we have are debts. There's nobody in the parable that's got a positive balance, right? Everybody's in the red. And Jesus came to forgive debts. Because if he only ate with people who were in the black, he would be eating alone. And so, Jesus, so then, that, why does Jesus eat with people if it's not to keep score, not to show off who the right ones and the wrong ones are. Why does Jesus, why did Jesus answer the invitation of a Pharisee if it wasn't because Pharisees are the winners and he wanted to bask in their success? It's because Jesus eats with people so they can know and love him and be forgiven. Because Jesus wants Simon to get to know him. Right? That's why Jesus ate with Simon for the same reason he ate with, ate with Levi. Because he wanted Simon to follow him. He wanted to forgive Simon's sins, all of them, and he wanted Simon to be transformed. He wanted to know Simon and be known by Simon. He loves him. He wants to forgive him. That's what he wants in all of these meals. That's what eating with Jesus is about. It is an opportunity to know and love Jesus. Because that's what ultimately changes us. You remember from last week, that's what actually changes us. It's not being told one more time all the wrong things that you're doing and all the right things you should be doing. It's about knowing Jesus. And ultimately, the climax of the story, when Jesus announces his agenda to the whole community, to the whole feast, is he, he, the climax of the conversation is he says to her, your sins are forgiven. In front of everybody. Because notice, the only way this story makes sense is if he's already told her this at some other point. She's been forgiven, that's why she's so grateful. But now, he's saying it in front of everybody so that everybody knows that that's what he's doing. And everybody knows that that's where she stands, that she's forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? This is shocking to them. This is not what they expected. They expected a scorekeeper, not, a, not debt forgiveness. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's 
this story reveals to us Jesus' agenda, why he is eating with people. And it also reveals to us our tendency to, to eat with him for the wrong reasons. We know the reasons why Jesus wants to eat with us, but we have to ask, what are our reasons for wanting to eat with him? Why are we seeking him? And how does that affect the way we treat each other? Here's where I want to land. Here's what I want you to take away. Number one, eating with Jesus is about forgiveness and reconciliation. Worded slightly differently on your bulletin, but it's eating with Jesus is about forgiveness and reconciliation. That's what happens at the table. As we come to Jesus, we are forgiven and reconciled. And so if you want to come to the table for other reasons, you are going to be disappointed. If you want to come to the table to be part of an exclusive club, you're going to be disappointed. There is no exclusive club at the table. It is, it is completely the opposite. And so if you're looking to find the elite, don't look for them around Jesus. That's not why we go to Jesus. We go to Jesus to find forgiveness and reconciliation. And you know what you're going to find there? You're going to find yourself forgiveness and reconcilia reconciliation for yourself and forgiveness and reconciliation for the people that you don't want forgiven and you don't want to be reconciled with. Simon didn't want to eat at the same table as the sinful woman. He didn't want to share a meal with her. But the only way he can refuse to eat with her is if he refuses to eat with Jesus. Because she has a place at his table. So as we remember that eating with Jesus is about forgiveness and reconciliation, then it also reminds us that no one is entitled to eat with Jesus. We all get there by grace. We spend time with Jesus because he has lowered the bar far enough to let all of us in. No one belongs there. No one gets to say, this is the place, you know, Jesus is lucky to have me, which is certainly what Simon seemed to think. Like, hey, it's a, sure it's a good thing that I came along because I make this look good. That seems to be Simon's mentality, and sometimes that's ours. And sometimes we, we are so easily tempted into a mentality of entitlement that because, I ha because of this thing about me, I am entitled to this place, or because of that thing about that person, they are not entitled to that place, or they are, they are barred from having that place. Jesus would never spend time with that kind of person. I mean, it's interesting that we've actually flipped it around in a lot of our Christian rhetoric. Now we say we're more, we're more scandalized by the fact that Jesus spent time with Pharisees than that he spent time with sinners. Jesus would never spend time with religious people. But none of us are entitled to a place with Jesus, and so we can't look around at other people and say, well, that thing disqualifies you, and this thing qualifies me. It's not what grace is. 
Number three is that eating with Jesus means that we have to abandon scorekeeping. We have to seek reconciliation. Because notice that in this case, both Simon and the woman were invited to be with Jesus, and they both got to spend time with Jesus. But the difference was whether they were on board with Jesus' agenda or not. Whether they were on board with what Jesus wanted to do. And if we are going to eat with Jesus, and we are going to continue on with Jesus, then we need to buy on to that mission. You can't follow Jesus faithfully and be dedicated to keeping score. Now, I will tell you, in my experience, that is an incredibly hard habit to break. And I'm not saying that it's going to be over in a day. You give your life to Jesus, and now you're no longer tempted to keep score. We all, you're going to fight that your whole life. But we cannot pursue scorekeeping. We cannot pursue that comparison, that chasing for prestige, that... that um, that focus on, on achieving, you know, the, I don't know, self-importance. That, that desire to be better than others. We cannot pursue that and follow Jesus. Those roads lead in different ways. And you're probably frequently going to find yourself stepping off of the path of Jesus and straying back that way. And when you notice that, you, we need to rededicate ourselves to the path of Jesus, Right? But if we, want to keep, if we want to keep going with Jesus, we need to follow his agenda. This is the thing about Jesus. Jesus doesn't, doesn't change course. He's going to keep moving toward reconciliation and forgiveness. And if we are going to be with him, we have to come to where he is. Now, if you're like me, I've been preaching myself the whole time. You guys have been listening very patiently, but I've been preaching. This is, this is me all over. I am, I am continually pulled into a scorekeeping mentality. I'm continually, you know, angry at people. <laughs> Casey and I will talk about this, how we'll see people. I, 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 I studied to go into politics or law, and I chose not to pursue either of them, but I will still get insecure when I see former classmates being really successful in those fields, even though I consciously chose not to pursue them. Like, Facebook is horrible for this because we only show off our best moments, and so all you see is other people's best moments. And, and I get caught up in this competition and this judgment and thinking, oh, those people are doing Christianity wrong. I do that a lot. With, uh, there are ways that I think the church should work, and there are people out there who are doing them differently, and unfortunately, they're not failing as much as part of me wants them to, right? <laughs> I want only people doing church my way to succeed, and that is not how it's happening. It's almost as if God has more going on than just me. I know, it's shocking. This is something that we have to get out of. This is something that we have to resist. We have to fight against if we're going to follow Jesus. And that's why I want to close, because every one of us has the potential to be like Simon. I want to close with last, one last uh, um, encouraging note, which is that Jesus eats with Pharisees. And that may be more surprising to us than the fact that Jesus eats with sinners these days. We talk a lot about the fact that Jesus eats with sinners, but often in those sermons and in those conversations, we're demonizing the Pharisees as if Jesus would never darken their door. If you're a Pharisee, like I tend to be, Jesus eats with you too. And here's one last little thing that you, if you, I preached on this 
year, year and a half ago, um, and we were talking about eyewitnesses. And here's one of the, I'll have to abbreviate it for you, but one of the interesting things is that the reason why we know Simon's name and not the woman's name is not because Simon is more important, but it's most likely because Luke is citing his source. The most likely explanation for why we have Simon's name is because Simon told us, told Luke the story. Because Simon followed Jesus. Which means that there was redemption for Simon. And no matter which side of this you are on at the moment, right, we go back and forth throughout our lives, there is forgiveness. There is reconciliation. There is change. And Jesus wants to eat with you. Amen? I'm going to ask the praise team to come up. And as we, as we close, I want you to consider what God is putting on your heart. Sorry, Jesus eats with Pharisees and forgives them too. That was the last line. Forgives them too. I want you to consider what Jesus may be calling you to do today. Maybe he's calling you to give your life to him. Today is the best day for you to do that. Maybe he's calling for you to be reconciled with some, someone. Maybe he's calling for you to seek out a, a deeper connection with this church or with a small group. Maybe he's calling on you to serve in some way or he's put laying on your heart to share Jesus with someone. There are a lot of different forms that that can take, but I want to keep it simple and leave it here with you. If that's something that you feel called to do, just write it on your Connect card and drop it in the box. We'll follow up with you. Or come forward and talk to one of us after the service. If you want to give your life to Jesus, just come up during this last song. Um, but today is the best day to act on whatever Jesus is putting on your heart. So I would encourage you to consider what he's saying to you as we stand and sing our final song. Thank you.